You're listening to the serialized preview of The Many Phases of Lily Andrews, Phase 4, Artificial. Written and read by Kevin Morris. To unlock the full ad-free version of this audiobook as it airs, head over and support the project on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash lilyandrews. That's Lily spelled L-I-L-Y. If you haven't yet listened to the original three short stories, phases one through three, they are available on Audible. The link is in the show notes. To learn more, visit themanyphasesoflilyandrews.com. Thanks for listening. A note from the author. The Many Phases of Lily Andrews began as a single short story, inspired by a quote from C.S. Lewis, equating trying to pin down Christ with trying to bottle a sunbeam. Soon I found myself wanting to know what happened next, resulting in two sequels, each a little longer than the previous. I then began kicking around the idea of making the fourth installment a full-length book. Given that this series is steeped in symbolism, I was initially hesitant. Every metaphor, no matter how good, breaks down at some point. But, to my surprise, it all held up remarkably well. So I'll continue Lily's story. I imagine when it's time to stop, she'll be the one to tell me. Thanks for coming along for the ride. Kevin Morse. Prologue The chairs in the principal's office were extremely uncomfortable, perhaps another deterrent to dissuade students from ending up there. Lily had managed to make it all the way to sixth grade without seeing the inside of this room once. But in the last semester, she had become more familiar with the space than she wished. A nameplate reading, Principal Daniel Duncan, rested on the wooden desk in front of her, along with the man's computer and photos of his family, the majority being of his daughter Lindley, who was a grade younger than Lily's brother Miles. In one of the snapshots, the Duncan family was standing at the top of a mountain. In another, they were swimming with dolphins. The pictures of Lindley featured her doing everything from preparing to swing a baseball bat to dancing in a little pink tutu. Looking at them made Lily feel a little less anxious. It was easy to forget that Mr. Duncan was more than just the highest disciplinary power in the school. Outside of this building, he was a person, just like everyone else, and a pretty cool one, too, judging by the evidence. But right now, she was in school, and so was he. Sorry to make you wait, Mr. Duncan apologized as he suddenly came through the door, startling Lily. It's okay, she told him as he rounded his desk. The man fell into his swivel chair with such force that it seemed like the weight of his job had added literal weight to his body. You probably already know what this is about, he began. Nodding, Lily got ready to think on her feet. Part 1. You're so gonna have to pee before class is over. Chapter 1. The Ropes Eeny, meeny, miny, mo, catch a tiger by its toe. If it hollers, let him go, eeny, meeny, miny, mo. Callan's fingers moved from girl to girl, eventually coming to rest on Emmy, who immediately protested. Hey, no fair, you didn't finish. You still have to do my mother says. Callan smirked. Okay, okay, chill. She obviously enjoyed the power she currently held. My mother said to pick the very best one and you are it. This time her fingers stopped at Lily. Lily has to go get the jump ropes, Emmy declared in triumph. Lily just smiled and shrugged. Okay, I'll be right back. If they have one with purple on it, grab it for me, Emmy added. Lily temporarily left her two friends behind, traveling to the back entrance of the school, the entrance and exit for recess. 
Just outside the doors rested a large wire mesh bin containing an assortment of recreational items. The props were first come, first serve, and included everything from basketballs to jump ropes to frisbees. Leaning over the edge of the container and sorting through its contents, she managed to locate three jump ropes, one of which had a purple handle. One of them was fairly tattered. She decided she would be the one to use it. The activity did not mean as much to her as it did to Emmy and Callan anyway. Psst. Lily barely heard the sound at first and dismissed it. Psst, Lily. The voice came again in a forceful whisper, almost like if a snake could shout, or talk at all for that matter. Lily pulled her head and hands out of the bin and looked around. Over here. She scanned the area to her left. The wall of the building on both sides of the doors served as a time-out zone. It was used to penalize students for bad behavior in class. Punishments were issued as sentences on the wall. Time spent there was time not spent playing and enjoying recess. Occasionally, someone would stoop so low that their entire recess period would be spent on the brick exterior. At the moment, there were four students with their backs to the left portion of the school. She saw Michael Everett, who was a backsasser, Patrick Willard, who liked to irritate other students instead of paying attention in class, Alicia Jones, who always got caught chewing gum, which was forbidden, and William. Upon noticing her cousin on the wall, the source of the voice became clear. Lily now wore an amused smirk. He motioned her over, his eyes searching frantically for any authority figures that might see them. After glancing over her shoulder, she warily closed the distance between them. What is it? Her voice was quiet, but not a whisper. I need you to tell Emmy something for me, William explained. I'm not supposed to talk to you. You're a criminal, Lily jested. She made no effort to hide her grin. I'm not a criminal. I just got in trouble for talking in class when I wasn't supposed to. Isn't that what you're doing now? William paused for a moment, wearing the slightly embarrassed expression of someone who had been logically defeated. The whole exchange was very lighthearted. This was not the first time her cousin had called to her from the wall. Come on, cuz, he pleaded. Help me out. He always pulled the family card when he needed to enlist her aid. Lily sighed playfully. What do you want me to tell her? The boy perked up. Tell her I'm sorry I couldn't make it to play kickball with you guys. I forgot I got in trouble yesterday. I'm stuck here until there are five minutes left. Well, there weren't any kickballs left today anyway, so you're not really missing anything. Yeah, but can you tell her I'm sorry? I told her I was going to play before I knew I couldn't. I don't want her to think I lied. Why don't you just tell her yourself during your last five minutes of recess? Because I've got to meet up with Dylan then. Plus, I don't want her to wonder where I am the entire time until I get free. Lily let out another sigh, this one greatly exaggerated. Okay, I'll tell her. Quit talking so much in class, goober. Before William could counter, his cousin turned and skipped away. Though William had changed drastically for the better, he still tended to get into trouble often, though it was usually for minor infractions. But Lily commended his earnestness in not wanting to be a liar. However, this was definitely not his main reason for sending the message through her, and she knew it. In fact, she had known long before she coaxed it out of him in private that William had a crush on Emmy. Her opinions on the matter were mixed. Ever since William's family had moved into the same neighborhood and her cousins had started attending the same school, he had become more than her relative. He was her best friend. This was due largely to the fact that he alone knew her secret. Lily could be herself around William as with no one else. However, Emmy was also her best friend. She was just the best friend who did not know her secret. 
The girls had met two years ago at summer camp, just to discover they lived only blocks away from each other. Though Lily was definitely the more headstrong of the two, they were alike in many ways. In fact, to look at them, they could have easily been mistaken as sisters. Despite Lily having blonde hair and Emmy having black, they were both about the same size, had a pale complexion, and shared the same sparkling blue eyes. Emmy had some Japanese in her blood, but one would never know from looking at her. It came from her grandmother and was partially visible in Emmy's mother, but had seemed to veil itself completely in the 12-year-old. Sometimes it annoyed Lily that her cousin constantly crushed on her best friend, but it could also be kind of fun and exciting. Lily returned to her friends and handed each of them a jump rope. Emmy's face lit up at the sight of the purple handles. Lily delivered the message to her then. Oh, he so likes you, Callan teased. This was typical. The brown-eyed brunette always spoke what was on her mind the very moment it was there. This often backfired, but Lily admired her honesty and boldness. Emmy's face went blank, but she did not blush. He's pretty cool, I guess. It was nearly impossible to gauge how Emmy felt about William. Some days, she was very responsive to his flirting and seemed to take a deep interest in his whereabouts and activities. Other times, she could not seem to care less, occasionally even regarding him as a nuisance. One time, a bunch of boys from their class decided to hold a fake wedding using rings they purchased from the quarter machines at the pizza joint downtown. When William had first mentioned the event to Emmy, she seemed very open to the idea and even excited. However, a day later, when he actually asked her to be his pretend bride, she simply smiled and said, No, thank you. Then, after a brief pause, she added, Maybe someday. The effect of that response on William had been twofold. Obviously, he was crushed by the rejection. However, it had left just enough room for hope to keep him from giving up. Callan, during that same event, had actually asked a boy named Ashton to pretend marry her. She even gave him quarters to buy the ring with, as well as instructions on the exact kind of ring she expected. Lily had asked Emmy how she felt about the boy several times, and had gotten a variety of responses that merely reflected her attitude toward him that particular day. Lily never told William this. If he ever inquired about what Lily knew, she always told him the truth. She did not know how Emmy really felt. Lily turned to Callan and gave her a soft smile, kindly and quietly suggesting that she drop it. The three girls then jumped rope for the remainder of the recess period. Lily and Emmy struggled more at this activity than Callan, who was noticeably taller than the two. For the shorter girls, it took great effort to get the entire mass of the comparatively longer ropes to swing over their heads and then cycle back under their feet. To be fair, though, Callan's hit her in the head more. The school bell rang. Though everyone still referred to it as the bell, it had been upgraded, Lily's fourth grade year, from a physical bell to a digital sound that more closely resembled a distorted foghorn. It was a terrible noise. However, in this instance, it seemed more suited to its purpose as it signaled the end of recess. The kids funneled into the building from all directions. Back to school. Chapter 2. Fortnights. Finished. Lily slumped against the indentation in the wall of her living room and breathed a sigh of relief. Closing the math textbook propped up against her folded legs, she turned off her music player, removed her earbuds, and turned to the window. The backyard had hardly changed since she was five. The sun, nearing the end of its daily descent, washed the whole scene in a brilliant orange. This time of day always reminded Lily of the dim glow produced by a campfire, which lends the colors of its flames to everything around. On Fridays, she always tackled her weekend homework immediately after school. 
It was usually a race to finish before the sun went down, with a few pit stops for snacks and bathroom breaks. She would position herself in the window alcove, which was still her favorite place in the house, immerse herself in a good song, and drown out all but the task at hand. Lily probably disliked homework assigned on Fridays more than any other inconvenience of being a student. It seemed to her that if school was not in session, there should not be any outside work either. Regardless, she was not going to let it bog down her Saturday and Sunday, which meant it had to be promptly dealt with. The telephone rang in the other room. She gritted her teeth at the sound. She still hated that phone. Without removing her gaze from the window, she listened as her mother made her way to the phone and picked it up, putting an end to the terrible noise. Hello? There was a pause. Oh, hello, William. Yes, and I believe she just finished her homework. One moment. Lily listened as her mother's muted footsteps grew louder until she was in the living room. William is on the phone for you. Lily took the phone, nodding at her mom in gratitude for bringing the device to her. Hey, William, she spoke into the receiver. Hey, Lily, would you want to go to the fort after dinner? William's call was routine for this time of the week, as the cousins were allowed to stay out later on the weekend. Sure, I'll ask my parents when my dad gets home. This was the same response she always gave. Cool, would you mind if I invited Emmy? Lily took a moment to think it over. By asking this question, her cousin was actually being very thoughtful. As William was the only one who knew Lily's secret, she could only really be herself without restraint when she was completely alone or alone with him. Yes, Emmy was her best friend, but her presence placed limitations on Lily. Every now and then, one of the cousins would politely request that Emmy not be invited so they could talk about Lily's abilities or experiment with what she could do. However, given how much her cousin regretted not seeing their mutual friend at recess that day, she felt it would be selfish to deny his request. I don't mind, she said, trying to pronounce her sincerity. All right, I'll call her and ask. Let me know what your parents say. Okay, talk to you later. Bye. They both hung up. Going to their fort at night was one of the things Lily looked forward to each week. Her parents almost always let her go, provided she and William took their emergency phones with them. They both believed they were old enough to have a cell phone of their own. Callan did. But their parents disagreed. They were only provided when the kids went out in case something went wrong. Her dad was home within the hour, and dinner was ready not long after. Though her father often worked at home, his job occasionally required him to travel. He had tried to explain it on several occasions, but Lily was still not exactly sure what he did for a living. She only knew that he did many things. Permission was granted, and she promptly alerted her cousin, learning that Emmy's parents had also agreed to let her go. After a dinner she probably should have appreciated more, she put on a light jacket, pocketed her temporary phone, and headed out the door into the night. William, Lily, and Emmy all lived in the same neighborhood, just blocks from one another. Lily made her way from her front porch down the sloped yard. At this time of night, she had to watch where she stepped, as all she had to go by was the dim, yellowish light of the street lamps. At first glance, the road might seem like a giant mirror, with each side being a perfect reflection of the other. In fact, the appearance and layout of each home and yard were very similar. However, there were subtle differences, such as how many windows a house had, what color it was, and whether or not the front yard was gated. Only the opposing sidewalks and staggering lights that lined them were exact mirror images. It was a beautiful neighborhood, especially at night. Plus, it was safe. This was most likely the only reason the kids got to play outside at later hours. Lily headed towards William's house, which was the rendezvous point since it was the closest to the fort. It was one of those nights made for walking. The air was quiet, with a gentle breeze making it perfect light jacket weather. 
As she moved, the only sounds loud enough to be heard were her footsteps, the rustling of her clothes, and the occasional sound of a distant vehicle. She lost herself in the sensations and thoughts of her trip. When she reached the destination, it seemed like only moments had passed. The darkness slowly revealed two figures on the sidewalk in front of her cousin's house. William always waited at that very spot, which meant the other dark shape must be Emmy. Her theory was confirmed upon hearing the trademarked, over-exaggerated giggling of her best friend. There she is, she heard William announce upon her approach. Hey guys. As if Lily's greeting was a well-established cue, the three began walking towards the fort. What were you laughing at, Emmy? William was telling me about how he ended up on the wall. Emmy and William exchanged a look. The humor of the tale still lingered in the air, begging to evoke further reactions. Didn't you say you got in trouble for talking in class yesterday? Lily addressed her cousin. Yeah, he began, but, but it was what he was talking about that's so funny, Emmy interrupted. William just smiled, not seeming to mind the verbal intrusion one bit. He was most likely relishing Emmy's investment in his story. Yeah, he continued. So Charlie Wilson wouldn't stop talking. This time Lily had to stop him. You mean catch up Chuck? During lunch one day when the three were in the fourth grade, their classmate, Charlie Wilson, had gotten a bad ketchup packet from the lunchroom. He tried everything to open the stubborn pouch, including biting it with his teeth. His inability to open it bruised his pride, and instead of simply getting another, he pounded the packet with his fist in frustration. This resulted in the condiment literally exploding in his face, getting in his hair and all over his clothes. A few nearby girls had screamed as the red substance splashed onto them as well. From that day on, he had been referred to as Ketchup Chuck. Uh-huh, William acknowledged. Anyway, a few guys were trying to hush him because he was being annoying and calling them twits. At this, Emmy let loose a giggle. She had both hands over her mouth already, but somehow it had slipped out. Both cousins shushed her. But how did you get in trouble from Ketchup Chuck calling people twits? Lily pressed. Well, he kept using the word, so I asked him if he knew what it meant. This was classic William. He was always seeking to educate those around him, especially those who threw around words without really knowing their meaning. He said no, so I told him. The boy paused for effect. And? A twit is a pregnant goldfish. This sent Emmy back into a giggling fit. She obviously found the story much more amusing, though Lily did genuinely laugh. The guy sitting by me laughed too, and Chuck turned red, kind of like ketchup. But Mr. Wright heard us, and since I set them off, I got put on the wall. But you weren't the one talking to begin with, Emmy stated with a passion in her voice. Yeah, but I've gotten in trouble in his class a lot for talking, so it makes sense he thought it was my fault, William responded, surprisingly content with the small injustice. It still isn't fair, Emmy concluded. By this time, the three had nearly reached the fort. Their neighborhood ended in an eastern line of trees that separated the houses from a river. The road ran through a divide in the woods and into the river itself. In the spring and summer, fishermen would often use the end of the street as a boat ramp to offload their vessels and travel downstream. Just off to the left of the boat ramp, William and Lily, with the help of their dads, had built their fort. The structure resembled a two-story treehouse. Though the left wall was nailed to a nearby tree, the floor of the fort rested on the ground. Their fathers had not wanted to risk them falling from very high up if the fortress ever weakened. As they had requested, there was no roof on the upper floor. The children wanted to be able to see the stars. This is exactly where they decided to lay tonight. On their backs, gazing up at the sky, the three talked about their day, breathing in the cool air coming off the nearby water. 
The river was barely visible for the thick fog that swirled over its surface. The light trickling of moving liquid served as the ambience for their conversations. What do you think caused the power to go out today? William asked. They lay with their heads near one another, and their bodies sprawled in different directions. What are you talking about? Lily responded first. You know, when the lights went out sixth period. Emmy and I were outside for P.E. sixth period. Oh, wow, then you both missed it completely, huh? What happened? Emmy spoke up. The lights went out. Duh, Emmy jested in her silly voice. I mean, for how long? Oh, it was great, William recovered. The lights went out right in the middle of Mrs. Winston's class when we were using the projector. We couldn't have class for ten minutes. What did your class do? Lily was curious at how Mrs. Winston, a teacher infamous for her permanent bad mood, would react to such an event. She actually let us sit and talk quietly. William still seemed surprised himself. Really? Mrs. Winston let everyone do nothing? Emmy voiced what Lily was thinking. I guess she couldn't think of anything else to make us do. I used the opportunity to finish writing my vocabulary words. Lily and Emmy both knew what William meant by this. Mrs. Winston did not believe in sending students to the wall at recess as punishment. Instead, she made troublemakers write vocabulary words, each term 100 times. William, who could not seem to keep quiet, had to write vocabulary words almost every class. Usually, when he was assigned them, he would try to finish the work in class to avoid having it as extra homework. Mrs. Winston had once called him out for this by questioning him to see whether or not he was also paying attention to her lecture. It turned out that William was good at multitasking and could listen while mindlessly completing his punishment. From that day on, Mrs. Winston let him write his words in class. William admitted to actually enjoying the busy work, and since it kept him quiet, Mrs. Winston was okay with the arrangement as well. Look! Emmy's body twitched as her index finger shot up, sending vibrations across the floor of the fort. Did you see that shooting star? Oh man, I missed it, William groaned. Me too, Lily admitted. It was amazing, but I'm sure there will be another one. Emmy obviously wanted her friends to feel better about having missed the cosmic spectacle. Definitely. Plus, Lily and I saw like four of them the other night, William added. Lily's heart caught in her chest. There was an awkward silence as a look of realization and regret flashed across William's face in the darkness. The stillness was broken as Emmy pushed herself up and sat on her knees. You were both out here? What night? Lily could detect the slightest hint of hurt in her best friend's voice. The cousins followed suit and got to a sitting position. Yeah, we were here Thursday night. William continued playing it off as if it was nothing. But only for around 45 minutes, not too long. I just wanted to talk to Lily about something. This was not the first time they had been found out, and it was exactly why William wished Lily would let Emmy in on her secret. That way she would not get left out, and they would not have to watch what they said around her. He did not lie in what he told her. They really had only been at the fort for that long, and he really had wanted to talk to her. More accurately, he had wanted to see if she would try turning the night fog of the river into liquid. He had a theory that it would taste different from normal water. William was always utilizing the time they spent alone to test Lily's gift on all matter of items. Oh, okay. Emmy's reply was short. The hurt in her voice had faded, replaced by uncertainty. Another pause preyed on Lily's nerves. Neither her nor her cousin wanted Emmy to feel left out. I hope you don't feel like we didn't want you there, William addressed her. It's not that. We just see each other more because we're cousins. I know, Emmy sighed. 
but sometimes it feels like you both have a secret and don't want me to know. So there it was. Neither Lily nor William had given their friend enough credit. She was incredibly perceptive. Lily's cousin looked at her with hopeful eyes. He obviously saw Emmy's keen remark as the ideal opportunity to bring her into the fold. Emmy, you're my best friend, Lily started. A chill ran up her spine and her stomach began to churn. This physical reaction preceded the lie she knew she was about to tell. With the true part of her coming statement lingering in the air, Lily knew she needed to choose her remaining words carefully. Why would I have a secret with William and not tell you? She finished. William's eyes fell, coming to rest on a warped floorboard. Lily felt terrible, but saw little alternative apart from the radical truth. She was not ready to let anyone else in. If it had not been for William falling through the ice and forcing her hand, she likely would have never told him either. In fact, she was still surprised she had told him. But it was going to take some time for her to work up the courage to tell anyone else. You're right, I'm being silly. In contrast to the horrible feeling that had washed over Lily, Emmy's voice was filled with relief. It was almost as if a weight had been lifted from one girl's shoulders just to fall on the others. A sound like a jackhammer filled the fort, causing all three children to jerk from fear. William's temp phone vibrated on the floor nearby. The boy almost never had pockets on the nights they came here, as he liked to wear athletic shorts, claiming they were more comfortable. As a result, he always carried his phone in his hands, which often led to misplacing it. Many of their fortnights ended with his dad driving him back to retrieve the forgotten device. He answered the phone and listened. Okay, bye. Pausing for a moment, William turned his back to the girls, lowered his voice, and spoke again. I love you too. He then quickly put down the phone and spun back around. Who is that, your girlfriend? Lily teased. This only got a reaction from her cousin. It was my mom. I don't have a girlfriend. Lily knew that if it had just been the two of them, William would not have tacked on that second bit. It's time to head back. Climbing out of the wooden fortress to the bank of the river, the three took one last look up at the night sky. Collectively, they gasped, as a final shooting star left a streak overhead, like a secret between the universe and its few witnesses. And all three of them had gotten to be in on it. I'll be right back, Lily said a few minutes later, after they had begun walking home. She had slowly been falling back from her friends, and now turned to run back towards the river. Where are you going? Emmy called to her. Do you want me to come with you? It's okay, I just forgot something, Lily shouted back, the urge to get away growing even stronger. Then she disappeared, leaving them in the dark. When she reached the bank of the river, she fell to her knees and threw up into the water. She stayed in that position for a few minutes, the cool spray of the stream kissing her face as if in sympathy. Once she had recovered, she got to her feet, rubbed the dirt from her knees, and headed back to rejoin her friends. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Did you know that The Many Faces of Lily Andrews has companion music? There's an eight-song collection called The Apristy EP, written by Kevin Morris, available now on Spotify or wherever you get your music. I tried to write the lyrics in a way that won't spoil the plot, so feel free to listen in any order you like. But my hope is that the songs will mean more after hearing the story. A link to that is available in the show notes. Until next time. <laughs>